It's Talking Football with Rob Daniels and Vince Tracy. So, very good day, everybody. Let me tell you that uh, the weather once again is very strange here on the Costa Blanca. Um, we are definitely having some very, very strange weather and it's gone sort of grey and uh, it's not cold, but it's cooler. Uh, there is no wind and it's not what you'd call a bad day. And obviously for some people it would be a brilliant day, but f- by our standards, it's not the best ever. I was up very early and I looked at the, uh, the dawn and it looked red. And as the old shepherd's warning tells us, you know, red sky in the morning, uh, that's the time that we get our warning. So let's go down to the frozen wastes of uh, San Juan and find out. uh, First of all, Rob, uh, I know you were up late last night because obviously uh, the Europa League final will be discussed with us in a minute or two. But give us the rundown on your weather and then we're going to be looking at something very serious. Yeah. Hi, Vince. Uh, Hi, everybody. Down here, actually, um, today, it's a beautiful day, Vince. I know that you've been having some r- rough weather in the mountains over the last few days, haven't you? Yeah, we have. But um, down down on the coast, um, th- I'm looking out at the park at the moment. There's no wind um, in the trees. It's, it's a beautiful sunny day. Um, and, well, later on, I'll go out and enjoy a bit of sunshine. Okay, now, uh, because obviously our podcast is about looking around football and the world that football should be uh, placed in, as opposed to its eminence, which is always preempted by UEFA and the football authorities um, in a general sense, uh, the trial of two retired police officers and a solicitor accused of perverting the course of justice Uh, following the Hillsborough disaster, has collapsed after the judge ruled there was no case to answer. Um, These allegations came after, of course, there were um, the the process of amending police officers' statements to minimise the blame on South Yorkshire police is generally the gist the area we're talking about. Uh, this all followed a disaster at the FA Cup semi-final on the 15th of April 1989, in which 96 Liverpool fans died. This was a game against uh, Nottingham Forest. And I can clearly remember the, the day that it all happened. Um, but first, uh, I'm going to go to Rob and find out, Rob, um, you, you know, this is being dragged on and dragged on. And while it's being dragged on, Money has been made by um, surveyors and uh, people involved in the legal profession. And, of course, if we are going to learn anything at all from what's gone on, I think it looks as though um, what we're seeing, the judge, Mr Justice William Davis, reckons that the amended statements were intended for a public inquiry into safety at sports grounds uh, led by Lord Justice Taylor, but that was not a course of public justice. Uh, now, obviously, you listen to some of the uh, people that um, are, have been involved in this. It's all very well for us to comment, uh, but there are people who have lived a horrible, horrible event over and over again. Uh, Margaret Aspinall, 18-year-old son James, died said what a very sad day today is for the justice system in this country 32 years the families have been fighting to get to the truth rob uh, very very sad wasn't it and you know nobody is really coming out of this with any great credit but i do feel that there's a, a general air of always wanting to blame somebody and sort of nail somebody to the mast of a to- total culpability, whereas I can remember uh, certain aspects of this, which I'll discuss with you in a second. What was your or- original um, feeling as you got this news yesterday? Well, it, um, as we know, uh, the Hillsborough disaster happened on the 15th of April, ni- uh, 1989, and... 96 um, Liverpool supporters unfortunately lost their lives 
since then, they've been embroiled in court cases, haven't they? Um, and originally, the, the police blamed the supporters. Then, eventually, in um, I think it was 2012, um, a report came out that said that it was the police that were at fault because the police weren't on the ball enough. They they, they didn't um, react quickly enough, and it, it, it it's just seems to be going on forever doesn't it for the the, the families of the um, fans that were killed and also for the police officers that were in, were involved at the time as well because it just happened it was like a a coincidental event wasn't it it was a massive tragedy um, everything went wrong at the same time and the police didn't react quickly enough but w- when you're actually on the ground and, and something like that happens then obviously you you have to just play it by ear don't you but as you say, yesterday there were two senior police officers, uh, one called Alan Foster and another one called Alan Denton, and a solicitor called Peter Metcalf, who had been accused of amending um, witness statements during the public inquiry, the first public inquiry, and they admitted to amending the statements to make themselves look better, but because it was a public inquiry and not an, a criminal investigation, no further action should be taken against them. Um, which to me it, it beggars belief because um, I, I'm not saying that they should be prosecuted or anything like that because it wasn't really that they were reacting to a situation that was happening at the time but um, they did amend witness statements they, they admitted to it but because it was a public inquiry and not a criminal investigation then no further action will be taken against them um, I really feel sorry for everybody involved um, especially the families of the 96 who uh, who unfortunately died of of course if the police have um, been changing the accounts and based around the fact that they were then uh, shown to have done that and then we were given the the reason that this goes no further is because it's one thing as opposed to another um, the sad fact of the matter is that People, I think, really want the closure of knowing who is to blame. Just like I was watching uh, something on TV this morning uh, where Dominic Cummings is busy having a go at uh, Boris Johnson and the people involved in the uh, different aspects of the COVID inquiries, etc. Whereas, you know, people were reacting, like in this situation, um, people were reacting probably to things that they've never never been involved in. I mean, I can remember I was watching the match on TV in Cornwall and um, our friend from across the road came rushing over because he didn't know we were watching it. He wanted to make sure we were seeing what was happening. And we could see the terrible events of people uh, being carried on the field, um, you know, to to waiting ambulances and and all the attendant things that were going on, and I know I've had sort of very sharp conversations with. Um, I've got one particular friend who is an Everton fan actually, and he always seems to be totally committed to the to the fact that the police were guilty and that they should be punished whereas what i seem to think is that there was a dreadful dreadful event i don't think for a second that anybody would have wanted anybody to get um injured badly i don't believe that for a minute and so if i'm going to put myself in the shoes of the top policeman i probably had panicked and really, it's got worse and worse by people trying to cover up and blame other people. Uh, whereas, you know, when an accident happens, very often, um, you, you know, something is the reaction to it. And can we quickly get things back to normal? And, of course, the tragedy of 96 people doesn't matter whether they're just, uh, you, you know, from one particular city, whether they support a football club. 96 lives were lost and I think this is now getting lost in a legal battle and uh, judgments by um, people who basically seem to not be in touch with what it would be like to be involved in something like that. I, I, I know now and again I've been involved in little panic events 
and I've known how frightening it is, but I would imagine that if you're up in a control tower looking at a TV monitor and you know you, you probably aren't too sure what's the best way to do this, um, I don't think it matters too much how many stripes you've got on your uniform or how good a title you've got. Um, you're, you know, you're just as likely to make mistakes. And obviously the best thing might have been for people to accept that um, and at least try to understand that somebody who should have probably been able to command the, the, um, the necessary events proceeding afterwards uh, of, of everything that happened probably did it probably panicked I would think I, I mean I, 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 I don't want to sit in judgment on anybody I, I would hate to have had to make those decisions um, what do you think Rob well it, it was a series of unfortunate coincidences wasn't it really Vince that uh, led up to this um, it was in the days when they used to have fencing um, around around the pitch to stop pitch invasions and fortunately um, th this Hillsborough disaster changed all that because um, what actually happened is Liverpool fans there was a train arrived late with 350 Liverpool fans on um, the, the match was due to kick off at, at 3 o'clock the fans were supposed to be in the stadium 15 minutes before the kick off but due to, that's our train arriving late, and also people who were travelling in cars were being held up by roadworks on the uh, M62, the Pennines crossing between Lancashire and Yorkshire, because this was held at Hillsborough, a neutral ground, Sheffield Wednesday's ground. Um, a lot of Liverpool fans, there were 5,000 Liverpool fans apparently, outside the ground um, with 15 minutes to kick off, and a bottleneck grew. And the police... A police constable actually asked um, his chief of officers, his, his higher ups, if they could delay the kickoff for uh, maybe 20 minutes or half an hour to allow the fans to to go into the ground. Um, but they decided to open up the exit gates, which um, where people normally leave the match after the match is finished. Um, everybody leaves through a massive exit gates. They open those up to let the fans in. And it became a massive crush, didn't it? And because the pitch was uh, fenced off with um, wire fencing, the coppers who were actually on the pitch, um, surveying the pitch, they didn't have the keys to open the safety gates. It, it was it was basically just um, a, a horrible, disastrous situation. Um, but the police, the higher-up police, had to react to the situation they found it they didn't react properly um but again it was just it was just a horrible coincidence and 96 people lost their lives but at the end of the day the police did south yorkshire police did a cover-up didn't they um they amended witness statements and these three guys yesterday were found to have uh, amended witness statements at the time to make themselves look better but because it wasn't a criminal inquiry because it was a public inquiry then they're not going to get charged with anything um i don't think anyone should be charged with anything i think i think basically just a, a, an apology um should be made because there are 96 families out there um who and you know what people in liverpool are like they're very passionate um it, it everton as you mentioned um liverpool eventually played everton in the final both both sets of teams wore um, black armbands in the final, and Arsenal in the final match of the season when Liverpool actually won that season in uh, '98. Um, Arsenal actually gave flowers to all of the um, Liverpool supporters who were there in support because at the end of the day there were football fans who were just going to watch a, a sporting event, and unfortunately due to a, a series of unfortunate coincidences 96 of them lost their lives um, I don't really think anyone should be held responsible um, but at least an apology um, they, they received an apology in 2012 from the uh, government at the time but it just continues doesn't it, it just continues and continues and it must be absolutely awful for the people, uh, the families involved I think the problem 
it is it, it's the atmosphere it's the mood of the country where it seems to be that people always have got somebody that they want to blame and they're not satisfied until that person has been uh, totally and utterly nailed to the mast and you know I, I do think that there are times when um, the, there are things that like you say um, it's been a terrible awful disaster for me to obviously have seen all these um, people still not got closure um, I would imagine that the very very least that should come out of this is a total and utter apology from everybody concerned but the worst thing is to give us the um, excuse that because it is um, not a criminal inquiry uh, the evidence um, doesn't stand up I mean it does make a, a, a mockery so yes, it, it does make a mockery of uh, people trying to understand justice because um, really if, if you're trying to give us a technical reason why people are not now going to be um, blamed for something, then we all know that they have been maybe culpable of something which deflects from really what the, the whole issue is really about, which is these um, poor the lost 96 uh, Liverpool fans it doesn't really matter as I say which which club it's a question of 96 people who went to a football match and they didn't go home um, just to change the mood now I'm going to go uh, from a very serious case um, because obviously I don't want to let the whole uh, podcast be become a, uh, a downbeat I'm going to go to the Europa League final last night which was absolutely um, spellbinding uh, there were aspects of it which were just um, just really very very good to watch but I was following some of the headlines that have come up um, as the latest soccer news um, you know for example Onigolio Solskjaer was busy saying that uh, Manchester United didn't turn up. I think that's a poor excuse. I think, quite honestly, everybody turned up. They gave us a good match. It got down to penalties. It was an absolutely marvellous um, sequence of penalties. And the sad fact of the matter is somebody, sooner or later, was going to miss a penalty. And it just so happened to be David De Gea. And, you know, again, another goalkeeper has taken the limelight. Um, but to actually tell us that Manchester United didn't turn up and for Marcus Rashford to tell us that his medal doesn't mean anything, I think these people are losing. They're losing the meaning of sportsmanship. They're losing the meaning of becoming a runners-up in a competition. If you come second, you've done exceptionally well. And I think it's very, very uh, wrong for them uh, to say that, um, y you know, th these uh, sort of things, that, um, you know, Solskjaer admits Man, U Man United didn't turn up. They did turn up. They they played quite well, I thought. they Both teams played well. Um, and um, runners-up medal means nothing. Well, Rashford, of course, has also been um, subjected to uh, at least 70 racial slurs. And this isn't good enough. Um, you know, if Facebook and uh, whatever other platforms are involved in this have, have received fa um, racial slurs, then they trace those people and close their accounts for me. Anyway, let's go back to the football. I mean, I thought it was a great game. I, I, I wasn't really at all um, phased by the, the actual scoreline. I thought that the... The tactics and what was going on was quite a good game. I quite enjoyed it. Did you? Oh, I thought it was a great game, Vince. Um, as Ali said uh, that he didn't think Man U turned up, I think that they underestimated the opposition, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because Villarreal is a team from the Lenten community, isn't it? It's up uh, Castellon Way, which is, I think, where our St Andrew lives, isn't it? Well, it is, and that's uh, basically why uh, some of this is a little bit more than just uh, another team, because I feel that it's a, a team close to us. They're actually called the Yellow Submarines, aren't they? 
Yes, and 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 they, they've got a great history behind them. Um, but it's not one of the teams that when it, people who don't understand Spanish football, it's not one of the first n- names that pops into their head, is it? Um, but no, they're 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 a good team. Um, and the manager's but, the manager's interesting, isn't he? Yes, the manager is is very interesting. Actually, he's uh, called Unai Emery. He's forty nine years old. He's originally from the Basque Country, and he was a midfield uh, midfielder when he was in his playing days. He came through Real Sociedad, my team. He came through their youth system. Um, he got injured quite young, and then he went into management. Um, he, he managed Valencia between uh, two thousand eight and two thousand twelve. And he's probably best known for managing Sevilla between 2013 and 2016 because Sevilla, um, back then, won three Europa League titles on the bounce. And he is he's the manager with the best record in the Europa League. Um, he's now got four. He went on to manage San, Paris Saint-Germain. He then went on to manage Arsenal. Um he got them to the Europa League final, but they lost against Chelsea. And now he's at Villarreal, and he's got his fourth Europa League win. Now, I think Manchester United possibly underestimated um, who they're going to play. But when it came down to the penalties, um, it, it, went, it was 1-1 at the end of uh, 90 minutes. It went on to extra time. It was still 1-1. It ended up in a penalty shootout. Now, a penalty shootout is a very exciting situation, even if you're a neutral. It was fascinating to watch, to be honest. And it ended up 11-10 to Villarreal. And they all, would, of the out, would, all of the outfield players um, scored their goals. And then it came to the goalkeepers um, having to take penalties against each other. Now, Villarreal's Argentinian goalkeeper, Jeremy Rulli, he scored his penalty against David De Gea. And then David Tejea, he had to take his penalty and you could see, uh, he, he hasn't played very much during the season. People said that, uh, people afterwards said that they should have played Hederson in goal um, because it, because David Tejea hasn't played very much this season. But it came to David Tejea taking his penalty. He hit the ball very weakly and Jeremy Rooley, the Villarreal goalkeeper, scored it. So, um, saved it, sorry. So, um, Villarreal have won their first ever European title and they're back in um, for next year as well. And it was very, it was, I thought it was a fascinating match to watch, actually. I mean, you don't see many penalty shootouts where it goes to 11-10, do you? No, uh, Liverpool had one that was about 14-11 or 14-13 at one time. So it swing really ridiculously like that. Uh, but I've got to say, one of the best things I've seen this uh, this morning is a picture of Alisson, Liverpool's goalkeeper. Uh, and uh, his caption is, some people are not cut out for scoring goals which I, <laughs> which I thought was really, really some goalkeepers are not cut out for scoring goals and I thought that, that really sums up what it should be about I mean we've got to the stage now um, we started off to this morning talking about something which was really very very tragic because obviously w- with my own football club being such a big part of these poor 96 people that never came back home I think, you, you know, you, you've got to try and put things into context. Of course, um, it, it's awful when somebody near, near to you dies. I think we've all been through that. You and I, I know we both have recently. Um, yeah. So uh, for one minute, uh, I, I don't lessen the sadness felt by any of the people associated with these poor people that died at the time. Um, but, um, you know, we, we do have to move forward. And I hope that what we're talking about shows that we care, yet we understand that you do have to move forward. Um, we now go to the prediction of the Champions League final in which the other Manchester club, Manchester City, will be playing Chelsea. It's going to be a very difficult and could be a boring game when I say boring I mean less flamboyance and probably more dogged determination however it's going to be interesting to see whether Pep Guardiola 
can maybe keep this uh, Spanish tradition going because obviously with Villarreal doing so well and their manager proving how good he is, um, Pep Guardiola, we do know, he is a fabulous manager. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, there's a little bit of um, comment coming across the internet that he's inherited some good players from Frank Lampard. Bit of truth in that, I've always felt that. Uh, but all managers, when they go into a new situation, do that. So, let's go to your prediction. Who's going to win the Champions League for 2021? Right, well, the, the Champions League final, um, for anybody who doesn't know, is on Sunday the 29th of May at 9pm uh, Central European time. It's Man City against Chelsea. It's been played in Lisbon in Portugal. Um, it's anybody's guess, isn't it, really, Vince? It's, um, no, it's but it's your, City, it's your City, guess. City, well, it's... That, yeah, City is <laughs> the first time in a Premier League final. Um, and Chelsea... A, a, been three-time finalists and they actually won it in 2012 but that's in the past um my prediction i would go for um a one-all draw at full time and city winning it 2-1 in extra time i know that's sticking my neck out a bit but that's how i can see it because city have been constant throughout the season um and they, they, it's, it's the, I think it's the only trophy they haven't won so far. So uh, I, I would go for City winning it in extra time. Okay, um, I can see, I can see uh, Manchester City putting on a show. I don't know why. I've just got this feeling that um, I've seen Chelsea on a number of occasions uh, become very, very durable. And Manchester City, if they do what they can do, we could be in for a thrilling final. As I say, I do feel it probably won't be this, but it would be delightful to see them play the football they've played all year, or all season, should I say. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 win to City, hoping that they can really turn it on and give us a tremendous final, because I know when Liverpool played uh, Tottenham Hotspur, um, that really became just a quick goal, and then, you know, um, all hands to the pump so yeah I'm going with you but I'm going 2-0 in proper time okay then we next go to uh, some characters who basically um, have done certain things and will be remembered for certain things and the first one will be Ronaldo who is now also the top goal scorer in Serie A the Italian league so he becomes the only player to be the Golden Boot winner in the Serie A, uh, the English Premier League and La Liga. Now, you really have got to take your hat off or your boot off to um, a man that can do that. He is a very, very special player. I'd love to see him back in either La Liga or the Premier League because, quite frankly, uh, I don't really follow the Italian leagues and I've rather missed watching him. So, what do you feel? Well, yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he's now 36 years old, believe it or not. I mean, time flies, doesn't it? But he's still at the top of his game. And as you mentioned, he's the first player to ever uh, win the Golden Boot in three different European leagues, top European leagues as well. He got it with, in the Premier League with Man U, um, in the league with Real, Real Madrid. And now this season, he's got 29 goals with Juventus. And he didn't even play the match, last match of the season. Um, so, yeah, you've got to take your hat off to him, haven't you? Um, there are a lot of rumours, as you know, about him leaving uh, Juventus um, at the end of this season. Well, um, in the transfer window now. And possibly returning to Man United after 12 seasons away. Um, if that happens, it will be fascinating to see because um, we, we've spoken about Cristiano Ronaldo since he was basically since he first came on the scene, haven't we? And now he's getting to the end of his career. It, it'd be great if he went to um, Man United again, so we could speak about him next season. But yeah, a fantastic player, um, a phenomenon, really. His full name, by the way, for those that may not uh, know, it's Cristiano Ronaldo dos Santos Aveiro. And it's this rather nice thing that the Portuguese do. They, they have a really nice Christian name, you know, uh, like Nuno del Espiritu or something like that, wasn't it? You know, I just think uh, yep, yep. 
Yeah, Nuna Espiritu, uh, Nuna Espiritu Santa, um, yeah. who has just left uh, under mutual agreement. He's, he's just left Wolves after four seasons. But yeah, oh yeah, the Portuguese have some really. They're, they're, it's 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 quite poetic, isn't it? The the names that they give uh, their, well, they, they name themselves. Love it. But yeah, Chris, Cristiano Ronaldo apparently, um, he's called Ronaldo. It's not his surname. Um, but he was he was named after Ronald Reagan um, oh, because his parents. Ronald Reagan was the, the president of the United States. Yeah, at the time I, I, I hadn't known yeah. that. Um, but yeah, that that um, they weren't political. But it's just that they they he was the president of the United States, so they called their son Cristiano Ronaldo. Now he was born in Madeira, wasn't he? Which is uh, an island that is uh, under Portuguese rule. Um, but uh, it, it, it's amazing, isn't it, when you look to somebody as wonderful a uh, talent as he became, um, coming from such a small... Uh, well, we'll say it's not a small island, but, I mean, you know, coming from an island as opposed to coming from a big country, you know. It, it is quite weird, isn't it, how these things turn out? Yes, and he came from a very, very impoverished background as well. Um, Madeira is a Portuguese island um, somewhere out in the Atlantic. It's a, it's, a, it's a holiday destination for a lot of people. Yeah. But um, it, it's it's not wealthy. Um, the islands are not wealthy people. Cristiano Ronaldo actually grew up in a very, very, um, very basic conditions. And he, he proved, he's proved himself as a footballer. That's one of the reasons, I think, because he comes from such a humble background like um, a lot of the South American players do, that he really puts 100% in. Um, and, yeah, he, he, he's done extremely well, hasn't he? Let's face it. I mean, look, the list of honours that he's got, we could spend all day just reading down the list. Um, he does come across as arrogant sometimes. When he was younger, we used to um, talk about his arrogance sometimes when he was playing for Real Madrid. But... He deserves to have that arrogance, doesn't he? Because he's proved who he is. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to see Christian Alderaldo still playing well at 36. And hopefully he'll be back in the Premier League next season. OK, so another type of player, different type of player, is El Pistolero, the gunman. And he's from Uruguay. And we're talking of Luis Alberto Suarez Diaz. Um, so Luis Suarez, of course... Um, very, very influential in the way that uh, the uh, Spanish La Liga ended up, which you'll be covering when, when you do your Rob's roundup a little bit later on. Uh, but uh, he is really a little bit special. And of course, uh, we got to know him quite well in Liverpool. Um, we, we would say mouthwatering or gobsmacking, or we could use all sorts of um, expressions related to the mouth or to your teeth uh, because that's what people seem to always come up with um, what do you make of the guy certainly as a player he, he's pretty good isn't he oh he's fantastic Vince I mean um, he does have a reputation for biting people doesn't he he's done it on various occasions um, but um, he's now he's, he, he's Uruguayan He's a, a true number nine. He's an out-and-out -out striker, isn't he? And he's 34 now, and he's still as ferocious as ever. He has been an international for Uruguay on 116 matches. He's got 30, uh, 63 goals for them. He, um, off the pitch, apparently, he's a really devoted family man. Um, he married his childhood sweetheart. They've got three kids. The, the oldest one, the oldest girl, is called Delfina. It was born in 2011 when he just moved to uh, play for Liverpool. And Delfina is an anagram of Anfield. Oh, that's um, lovely. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he's, 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 he's a character. I say uh, <laughs> Louis Suarez is, is, is a right character. But once he steps over the white line, once he's on the pitch, you've got to watch out. Because throughout his career... I mean, he's played for some top teams. He started off in, in Europe. He's, he played for Ajax of Amsterdam um, from 27 until 2011. 110 matches, 81 goals. Then he went to Liverpool, um, which is where you remember him from uh, originally, I imagine. 2011-2014, um, 110 matches, 69 goals. Then he went on to Barcelona, 
2014 to 2020, 191 matches and 47 goals. But then when Ronald Koeman took over at Barcelona at the end of last season, um, Suarez was transferred against his will and against the will of the other players at the Barcelona team. Um, the, the official reason was that at 33, as he was then, it, they considered that he was past his best. And Barcelona needed some younger players coming through. The real reason, um, as far as I see it, is that um, Messi and Suarez and, and a lot of the other players, the senior players in Barcelona, had basically taken over the dressing room and the management weren't happy about it. But you send Suarez to Atletico Madrid, which is, which is run by uh, Simeone, the Argentinian, uh, Diego Simeone. And it's like a red rag to a bull. <laughs> uh, he, 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 every time he comes on the pitch, he played, he played 32 matches this season. He scored 21 goals. He was a key player in the uh, Atletico Madrid plans to uh, win the league, a la Liga. And they actually did in the final match, which we'll speak about later. Um, at the end of the match, he was um, he, he was overcome by emotion. Now this is a hard guy. He's a hard footballer. Once he once he plays on the pitch, he he, he he's got no mercy. But he was so relieved, I think, and so pleased about winning La Liga that he basically he's South American as well. So they are, he's quite emotional. But he he broke into tears, didn't he? Yeah. And there's um, numerous photos and interviews with him. But there's one photo where he's sitting on the pitch. And he's looking at his mobile phone screen. And, of course, all the uh, Spanish jokers saying he was crying because he could see how ugly he was in his reflection in the screen <laughs> and things like that. But but let's face it, he's a great player. And it, I, I've, I felt really pleased um, that Atletico Madrid, as you know, Vince and all the listeners know, I put my, put my flag, if you like, on Atletico Madrid right at the beginning of the season. They pulled it off in the last match. A really exciting finish to the season. And Luis Suarez, yeah, um, a great player. OK, we go next to a left fullback. Uh, that's where he started. Most people won't realise this. And uh, he is, of course, a Welshman. He gets into the uh, news for probably the wrong reasons. None worse than probably the worst haircut that you'll ever see on a uh, footballer. But I'm talking about Gareth Frank Bale. So uh, what have you got for us on this one? Who uh, began in not Tottenham, uh, not in Wales. Tell us who he started with. Um, he started in Southampton, didn't he? He certainly did. Yeah. Um, I know that he, yeah, um, he played, he, he became well known. When he played for Spurs, he got he played 146 matches. He got 42 goals for Spurs, but originally he started with Southampton, and I really liked him um, as I, I think you did as well, Vince. When he when he was a younger player, he was he was absolutely excellent. He he went on to play for Real Madrid. Real Madrid bought him in 2013, um, and at the time it was a world record um, fee. It was something like 100 million euros, um, which obviously it's a lot of money in anyone's books. And he started well for them. He, in his career for Real Madrid, he's played 171 matches and scored 80 goals. But then he got injured. He got an ankle tendon uh, injury. And he went off the boil completely. And he, he seemed to lose interest in football. He was pictured, um, you'll remember this, a lot of the listeners will remember this, but in 2019, he was pictured with a Welsh flag. And on the Welsh flag was written, Wales, Golf, Madrid, in that order. Now, that is very disrespectful, isn't it, to the team that you're playing for, especially Real Madrid. I mean, it's, it's one of the best teams in the world. But um, he showed him a lot of disrespect, so he wasn't picked very often, even after he'd, um, his injury had gone. He went on loan to Spurs because they were the only team that would basically take him on um, this season. And do you know how much he earns a week, Vince? Uh, it's a disgusting amount of money. It's got to be up somewhere near 500000 or something silly like that. 
Well, what what I in, in euros? This is not in not in pounds. Apparently, he gets paid six hundred ninety-two thousand six hundred sixty-six euros a week. Now, that is yeah, um, it's it's obscene money, isn't it? Really. Um, and when he went to Spurs, the deal was that Spurs would pay half of his wages and Real Madrid would pay the other half of his wages. And he didn't play many matches. Um, he, he, when he came on, he did score a lot of goals. Let's face it, he's a good goal scorer. But what we're speaking about now, I think, is that he intends to retire at the age of 31 um, after the playing for Wales in the Euros, which are coming up in, in June. However, before he goes, he wants a settlement from Real Madrid because he's under contract to them until 2022. So he basically wants the rest of the money that they would owe him under contract. And he hasn't actually played. He's shown no interest in football for the last two or three seasons. And he has been basically been paid for doing nothing apart from sitting in the stands wearing a face mask over face mask over his eyes quite often and sort of going to sleep during matches um, almost seven 700,000 euros a week I think that's obscene Vince uh, I know we speak about this kind of thing a lot but for me this is an extreme example and uh, I, I feel very disappointed uh, in Gareth Bell's attitude because as you, as I've said when he when he was a younger player um, I really I really liked him but it's amazing how, how much you can go off somebody when you realise they're, they're basically earning that kind of money and doing nothing. Well, he sees himself as a professional golfer, apparently. Um, but that to one side, and, you know, I've banged on about this ever since I've been uh, working on radio programmes, and I knew sooner or later more people would see the light and agree with me how ridiculous this money is that people are paying for footballers. I mean, to pay anybody over half a million pounds a week is, uh, it really flies in the face of all that people struggle with in their lives, paying for their mortgage, paying for the the upkeep of their family, uh, paying for hospital bills for those people who have got people that are not well. Uh, The whole thing is uh, totally outrageously immoral And this is where authorities could have stepped in. They didn't step in. And really, for those clubs that maybe are eventually going to go to the wall because of the pandemic, and they see that uh, clubs like Barcelona have to borrow money to be able to play, to pay their money uh, for their players. And, um, you know, it's a world totally uh, devoid of any sanity. And this really is one aspect of football that I really, really can't get on with because not one person is worth that sort of money, in my opinion. No, uh, I agree entirely, Vince. I mean, it's it's got completely out of hand, hasn't it? When you um, look at nurses, full-time working nurses who have to go to food banks in order to be able to feed their families, um, and then you get uh, players like Gareth Bale who gets... Yeah, more than half a million pounds a week. It it it, it beggars belief, doesn't it? it? It defies all kind of logic. Um, but especially because he hasn't actually been playing, uh, he caused a lot of problems in Real Madrid when he he was basically refusing to 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 complete his contract. If you like, it, it, I, I've lost a lot of respect for him, unfortunately. Um, when he does come on the pitch, when he when he came on for Spurs towards the end of the season, he can score goals still. But um, as you say, he wants to now retire and dedicate himself to golf. So uh... and of course, really, are you uh, and is everybody else happy in maybe the value of somebody scoring goals over somebody who basically looks after the sick and can't even get enough money? for the wages that some of the nurses are working for. Um, Rob, I'm conscious of the fact that the time is now 45 minutes into our podcast and uh, I want a couple of things to happen. Right. We might come back to the possibilities of ramifications of the uh, European Super League, but I want to go to Rob's La Liga roundup. Tell us of the excitement that was felt here in Spain 
as the climax of the competition uh, sort of hinged around Luis Suarez's goal, but also the sadness for those uh, teams dropping out. Um, OK, over to you, Rob. Right, well, the uh, the last match of La Liga, um, or the last matches of La Liga, they, they all played at the same time, was really, really exciting, Vince. Um, the title was up for grabs. The the teams who could have gone down, uh, that was also in the balance. Um, the league title was basically between uh, Atletico Madrid, who had been at the top since the beginning of the season, and Real Madrid, who um, had been trying to catch them up. Barcelona were already out of it because they made a mess of their previous match. So the title race basically was between the two teams, Atletico and Real Madrid. And at half-time, both teams were losing. Um, Atletico Madrid were playing away against Valladolid, who were playing to save themselves. Valladolid um, ended up being relegated, but they were trying to play to save themselves from being relegated. And Real Madrid played against Villarreal at home, but at half-time, both teams were losing. Um, so when it came to the second half, it was really exciting. Everything, the whole of the season, relied on what happened in the second half. And um, in the end, um, Atletico Madrid, what well, as you say, Luis Suarez got the winning goal in the 67th minute for Atletico Madrid. They won the title, um, which is which is good news because it's, it, it's, it makes a change, doesn't it? Real Madrid came in second. Um, but down at the bottom end, again, that um, was very interesting because, as we mentioned previously, um, there were four teams that were, could have gone down. Elche, our local team um, here from Alicante province, could have been one of them, but they managed to save themselves in the last match um, by winning. And so the teams that go down are Wesker, Valladolid and Ibar. Elche came in in 17th place, amazingly because they came up. There were six. There were six place qualifiers in the uh, Segunda last year. Had to go through the playoffs. Um, unexpectedly managed to uh, get into La Liga and have managed to maintain their position. Now, who's coming up next year? We've got uh, Wesco Violet and Ibar going down. At the moment, we've got uh, Espanyol and Mallorca coming up. Who? Um, have qualified because they're the top two teams. Both of them were relegated from La Liga last year, so it's like an up-and-down situation. But then they've got one match left um, in La Segunda, which is going to be, I think, on Sunday. They're all playing at the same time. And the four other teams that are in the playoffs, um, well, one of, one of those will come up, but it's still not decided which of the which four teams it's going to be because it's very very tight down there as well. So um, yeah, the, the 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 end of the Liga was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was a great it was a great day of football. I think we had a great week of football, Vince. To be honest, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's relevant to say now, just in passing, because we're going to finish off looking at the Premier League and what happened in that league. Um, we. Uh, do have been reading in the newspapers uh, that uh, UEFA are threatening to expel or whatever w ways that they do it. Um, they're going to think about putting Juventus, Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, out of the Champions League. Now, they've been in there virtually every single uh, time that it's been played. And, of course, this will mean that certain other clubs might come into the reckoning who, at the moment, aren't anywhere in sight. Um, I mean, can the Champions League survive without those three teams? I personally think they can. What do you think? Oh, I think they can, definitely, Vince. I mean, um, at the moment, as you mentioned, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus, they're the three clubs out of the 12 who um, originally propose this Euro uh, European Super League that haven't backed down yet and their fate is in the hands of uh, UEFA that really because they, they could expel them from um, playing in Europe for several seasons I mean let's face it it wasn't fair I don't think but if you remember back in uh, the mid-1980s 
after the Heysel Stadium disaster, we were talking about stadium disasters, but the Heysel Stadium disaster where um, Liverpool against Juventus, a wall fell down, and many people, unfortunately, were killed there. All English teams were banned from European competitions for five years, and that was when the English teams were really hitting the heights in Europe. And there's no reason at all why the Champions League can't continue without the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona and Juventus. I mean, basically, at the end of the day, there are only three football teams. Um, but it will be big news, if you like. If they, if they do face sanctions such as this, it will be it will be big news in the football world. But, yeah, of course, a competition will survive without them. They, they've got a new one, haven't they, called the European Conference League or something like that, which... Um, I think Spurs are going into out the next um, the oh. next season. Let me just um, say, by the way, that um, I was on the radio in France when we had the Heisel Stadium disaster, and that was a little bit of a difficulty for me because I had people phoning in asking me why all English fans are hooligans, and of course I was trying to explain. Of course, they're not all hooligans. It's the same as every uh, part of the world. There's always good and bad, you know, but. Um, Yes, uh, it was not a pleasant uh, event. And, of course, sadly, you know, um, the English clubs were um, penalised in that way. So, yes, I think we've got to move to the uh, last week of the Football Premier League, um, as we only have now um, just around nine minutes to get through it. So, uh, your thoughts on that one? Right, well... um there's so much to talk about this week, isn't there, Vince, that we better go through this quickly. But it has been a really exciting week of football. Um, I think everything panned out as it should have done. Um, where would you like to start on the Premier League? All right, look, um, I'll come clean. I was subjected to what we call a gotta freer here. It's like a huge, massive downpour. And uh, sadly, I lost all the electricity and so the only way I could watch and follow anything was on my telephone. Um, and uh, I think it was uh, Five Live I managed to get hold of. So I'm going to take one or two of the salient ones. If you remember at the top end, you uh, had all the excitement because the other end was more or less finalised. I think it was finalised by the time we got to the last day. But it, it started off and uh, Leicester were ahead of Chelsea, who were also ahead of Liverpool. So uh, Liverpool were in uh, fifth place. And we go to Leicester now and pick up what we uh, saw was Leicester 2, Spurs 4. Um, I had seen a 4-1. You'd seen a 3-1 uh, to Leicester. Leicester didn't turn up. They, they blew it at the last um, hurdle. And I feel so sorry for them. But they have got European football through the Europa League. But what did you think of that result? Yeah, I bet you really feel sorry for him, don't you? Vince after Liverpool coming in third and getting into a Champions League place in the final match. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Leicester City, it was in their own hands. Um, and they they blew it, basically. Um, after, after having such a good season as well. Um, I say it's very difficult to... Um, to judge these kind of things because it's just individual matches, isn't it? One thing that I thought was quite unfortunate was Casper uh, Spiegel, the uh, the goalkeeper, Leicester City goalkeeper. He made a real mess of it to make it 2-2. Um, in fact, it went down as an old goal to him. He actually knocked the ball into the back of his own net, which is very unfortunate for him. Um, but, yep, Leicester City 2, um, Spurs 4. Spurs going to some kind of European... Oh, it's, the, it's the European Conference League, isn't it, Spurs going to? That's the one. But um, Leicester, Leicester City were playing for a champion, uh, Champions League place and in the final match of the season, they blew it, unfortunately, for them. Yeah, very strange. Now, the other one that was a very strange game as well, uh, I had been sitting next to a guy who was a... or is a... Uh, Aston Villa fan who told me yep we'll do Chelsea we'll win and that was exactly what happened Aston Villa 2-1 uh, against Chelsea I thought it would be Chelsea 2-1 and so did you so we got that one wrong between us um, what did you think of that game? 
Well, um, Chelsea, were they, they got through not by default because the, their league position made them go through, but also it was an important match for Chelsea, wasn't it? Because there were um, Leicester City, Liverpool and Chelsea all going for a Champions League place and Chelsea ended up losing um, against Aston Villa. Now, um, but they managed to get through because, um, as we've just mentioned, as we just mentioned, Leicester City lost. Now, at the end of the match, in the post-match interview, um, Thomas Tuchel, the Chelsea manager, who is very um, poker-faced normally, they mentioned uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, phrase "squeaky bum time" when it comes down to right the last minute and everyone's moving about on the on the seats and you can hear the the squeaking of the seats and everything because it's so tense. And when they mentioned this to Thomas Tuchel, obviously it's a well-known football phrase, for about 10 seconds, he dropped his poker face and he started laughing. <laughs> now, it shows that, I mean, I, 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 I'm beginning to like the guy, actually. Uh, you can see there is a human side after the sort of robot of um, science in football and things like that, but he, he burst out laughing. And um, I thought that was nice to see. Yes, uh, as I swigged a nice, nice mouthful of coffee, I can tell you the other thing that uh, we can also look at is the fact that um, the way football writes these plots that come together right at the very end of the season. Um, now, Sadio Mane at Liverpool had had tests to undergo um, uh, any reasoning why his form had been so bad. He was obviously... Um, you know, feeling that things were just not right. And he ended up scoring the two goals that uh, gave Liverpool the win. So you can't write the script for these things. But as everybody was quite happy to have a go at Liverpool, I'm also quite happy to say I think we battled and we deserved third place. Um, I think that the team has really shown the form um, coming back and I don't think we're going to be um, shrinking violets next year. No, and I think um, all neutrals, um, especially the uh, people that I speak with in Spain down here, um, are pleased to see Liverpool in the Champions League because Liverpool is... Well, it's Liverpool, isn't it? Let's face it. They, they've, they've won the um, what, what it used to be called the European Cup. It is one of the it's the, champ known it's the teams. It's the Champions League with a different name. So let's not go anywhere near that one, Rob. I mean, the thing is, you know, the rebranding and everything, you can do all the marketing and people lose sight of what we're talking about. You know, we'll talk about maybe the championship in the UK, in England. Uh, it's the second division. I mean, you know, people forget... These marketing people are so clever. That's why we've got all the Brexit problems and the COVID problems and all these other things um, which are constantly being marketed. That's why it's so annoying. Um, but in terms of just the football, let's finish off by paying um, great tribute to a great win from the team that deservedly won the Premier League last year. They won it not by a country mile, but they won it comfortably and they put on in style for the last game against Everton. Man City 5, Everton 0. I thought it'd be a 2-0. You thought it would be a 1-1. What a way to finish your season. Well done, Manchester City. Yeah. Um, they didn't need to do anything, did they? They'd already run the title. Um, playing against Everton, who had had at the beginning at least a good season and are one of the top teams let's face it and to beat them 5-0 in the final match of the season when there was really nothing to play for and they've still got a Champions League final coming up at the weekend um, yeah hats off to uh, Pep Guardiola and the whole of the Man City team they have proved this season that they well, they've been the best, haven't they? Yeah. I'd also like to finish off by making sure that we give a mention to an ex-Everton and Manchester United manager, David Moyes, because he's got some European football next year. Well done to West Ham. I think they'll be blowing bubbles down in London for him. Um, last word for you on David Moyes. Right, well, um, a good season, yeah. As you say, they're, they're all forever blowing bubbles, aren't they, down there in uh, not up to part now. It's called the London Stadium. But good on West Ham for managing to get into um, a European position next year. 
um, they they deserve it. They 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 have played throughout the season, um, and as as everyone knows, when you've got you play throughout the season, it's not a marathon. It's, oh, sorry, it's a marathon. It's not a, it's not a sprint. And West Ham deserve their position in Europe, and it'll be nice to see them in there next year. Okay, we're just up to the hour, so Rob, thank you very much indeed. Lots to talk about today. Catch you next week. My pleasure, Vince, as always. Bye bye.